Please find Psalm 103 in your Bibles. I am each week just pleasantly surprised at what these psalms contain. Uh, This is a great psalm. It's uh, one that has touched my heart this week, and I hope that it touches yours as well. It, um, It gives us a picture of God's demeanor, of His character. We know God is holy, um, but when asked who he was by Moses, God told him. And this psalm, though written by David, reflects on that self-revelation of God on his character. And so just think of a demeanor, a person's character, um, the way they carry themselves, um, their character again, what they're made of. Um, we hear that word demeanor sometimes, I, I thought of like breeds of dogs. There are certain breeds of dogs that have an aggressive demeanor or a, a caring demeanor. And people sometimes say, well, that kind of dog does that. Children have a demeanor. You can tell some kids are just wound different than other kids, right? Parents, by the way, you have a demeanor. Your kids know who they should go to based on, you know, the situation. Spouses have a characteristic we just have this this way that we carry ourselves and and god does too and we can speculate on what that is but what i love about psalm 103 is it tells us god's character tells us who he is and we don't have to speculate we can in fact i believe if we did speculate we would come up with something completely different um, than what psalm 103 has to say and so i again have just been uh, taken back by this one commentator said of this psalm it is perhaps the most perfect song of pure praise found in the bible through the centuries it has been a song has been sung by glad hearts and today is as fresh and full of beauty as ever so i hope to communicate that to you i hope um really that you just get one thing out of this morning. There's an old chorus that we may try to sing later, sadly, through me. But bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. For He has done great things. That's what Psalm 103 says, that we should bless the Lord, for He has done great things. Let's read this. It says, praise the Lord, or your version may say, bless the Lord. And I'll go back and forth. It's the same word, and I'll explain that. But praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There you can see the bless the Lord, for he has done great things. And then it lists some of those things. Who forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. 
The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. And its place remembered, remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him. And His righteousness with their children's children. With those who keep His covenant and remember to obey His precepts. The Lord has established His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you angel, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly host, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everything in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Father, we come wanting to bless you, to praise you, to acknowledge who you are, what you've done. You are truly blessed. For you have done great things. And would you just move us, God, to see that this morning. And then live lives according to that truth of who you are. We love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, your outline is basically three parts. And all of it calls us to praise God or bless God. Um, And so the first point I put is praise the Lord Christians, speaking to us. Now, David was king of Israel. We've we've studied part of his life, and we know that. And so when he says that, uh, when he's speaking of his soul or his inmost being, he's a person of God, and we are people of God. And so I've made that little jump that if we're a people of God, we should praise the Lord. We should bless the Lord. Let me clarify that a little bit. To praise is, in, in the Hebrew here, means to if somebody blesses you, um, they, they, they give you something good that you don't deserve. They care for you in ways that maybe are beyond what you would expect. And it's somebody from outside that does that to you. And so when we say bless the Lord, we don't say I'm going to give God something he doesn't deserve or doesn't have. We are acknowledging the blessings of God. So when we say bless the Lord, as, as the Hebrew says here, it's like, I'm going to praise him because he's blessed us. That's the give and take of the Hebrew word there. But what David says is praise the Lord or bless the Lord, my soul, my inmost being, praise his holy name. And so my first sub point is here, your inmost being. The, the joy of worshiping on a Sunday morning or any other time. It's not just that there's songs we like to sing. It's that they move us within. And, and this is the kind of heartfelt worship that God desires. It is not we honor Him with our lips, but our hearts are far from Him. It's our hearts are close to Him, and so we honor Him with our lips. And David is getting right to that right off the bat, that whatever he's talking about, praising the Lord and blessing the Lord, it happens in his inmost being. Now, as we go through this, I want you to make this connection. David, who wrote this, as you know, was the great king of Israel. He was also a great sinner. And he knew the forgiveness of God. And so when he writes things like he does not treat us as our sins deserve, he gets it. He knows it in his heart. I think Paul would be the same thing in the New Testament. He knows he's the worst of sinners. And so when he says there's a gracious God, he means it from his inmost being. And so right there is the challenge to us. Do we bless the Lord? Do we praise on a Sunday morning or whenever from someplace deep within us, from our inmost being, from our soul? Deuteronomy says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so the, the natural question here is, does this describe 
what you just did for the last 15, 20 minutes. It's real easy, and I'm here too. It's real easy to be so distracted to kind of squeeze this in. Is, is it coming from a deep place within you because you understand the graciousness of God? There's a flow to what we do on Sunday morning. Part of it is just getting people out of the parking lot, into the lobby, into the sanctuary, right? So for a few minutes, we can focus on God and then turn to His Word. The, the idea is that that's the whole, you know, that's where we're, we're heading. That's where we should be. And it's easy to get distracted. And that's why I think verses and chapters like this are in the Bible to remind us that God desires us in here. He wants us to worship in here. And it's not just Israel. God's talking about Israel, but or David's talking about Israel. But people just go through the motions. It's just part of what they do. Now, I am very thankful that Sunday morning's on your schedule. I'm glad of that. Keep it there, okay? Add it if it's not there. But this is more than just an, an, an appointment we make every week. This is a chance corporately to come together and from deep within say how thankful we are about what God has done and who he is. When the famous words Jesus says, and we think of this in other contexts, but he says, from out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our worship should be out of the abundance of our heart, right? It should overflow of what we're experiencing, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout our lives. And I think there's a difference, and my grammar is not always the best, but we say, I went to worship today. That word worship is either a noun or a verb. I went to a worship service, or I went to worship God as a verb. It's our desire, and I hope your desire, that you come to verb worship God. That's why we're here. Isaiah said some words that Jesus would quote in the New Testament. This is Isaiah 29. Isaiah said, I had this vision. It was about the destruction of Jerusalem. And it says that it was given to people, and the people that could read couldn't understand it. And other people couldn't read it. Nobody could understand what God was saying. But here's what Isaiah said God was saying about the destruction of Jerusalem. Because these people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is, command, is, is a commandment taught by God. Meaning they were just afraid of what the rabbis would say or what the, it would look like if they didn't go to church. It wasn't heartfelt. It was just lip service. And in the New Testament, Jesus would quote this to the woman at the well. God is spirit and his worship, his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, Isaiah pointed to that. Jesus pointed to that too, that he wants more than just lip service. David again knew this. He had written this likely after he had been exposed by Nathan for the Bathsheba Uriah thing. He knew that sin dwelt within him. See, if I just think sin is external and I don't understand where it's in my heart, then my heart won't worship God. But David understood that. He knew that he was sinful in his heart and he knew in his heart he had been forgiven. And he would write in Psalm 51 about that episode, you delight in truth in my inward being. So one point... A, is I hope this comes from the heart, okay? Point B, why the incredible benefits that God gives us. We should, God is worthy of praise just for who he is. Let's just stipulate that. But what David does here says, but there's actually some reasons why we should be worshiping God from the heart. 
And I've called that incredible benefits. And so did David in verse 2, praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. Here's that course. You're going to practice with me now, and I think we're going to do it at the end of the service. We'll see how your practice goes. But remember that old course, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. You sing that twice. And then you sing, he has done great things three times, bless his holy name. Okay? Let's try it. Oh, this is, going to, this is actually going out on Facebook. This is going to be real ugly. Okay? And if I don't start on the right note, you find it and I'll follow you. But it goes like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. For he has done great things. He has done great things. He has done great things. Bless his holy name. All right, pretty good. We have to get better at the conclusion. That's what this psalm is saying. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, for he has done great things. What are those great things? First of all, what David reminds us of is we don't need to forget them. That's part of why I think as a Christian, sometimes our worship just becomes a schedule thing and a lip service thing because we've forgotten the great things that he's done. It's, it's something, you know, some of us get forgetful in our old age or most of us, I suppose, get forgetful in our old age and we laugh about it and there's funny jokes about that. It's sad when we forget what God has done for us. When we forget the benefits, the blessings of what he's done. What this psalm goes on to do is list the benefits of being a Christian. The blessings of it. The, you know, if you have a, if you have a, a job, you have your salary, and then you get benefits on top of that. It is, it is by sheer grace that God has a place for us in his world, right? Because we, we don't deserve it. But he throws on benefits and it's just incredible. And so here they are. I tried to make a list of these and I couldn't make the words work, but right off the bat, verse three, he forgives all our sins. He just get, he, all of them. And again, David knows what this means. Later on down in verse 8, we'll read these words, and and who knows if we're going to get through all this this morning, but look down at verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. He forgives all our sins. And there's two things to kind of keep track of here. One is what is a sin and what's not. I'm convinced we sin way more than we realize. The Bible says we're we're deceived. We can't even figure out that we're sinning. But I don't want to list mine because I run out of fingers real quick. And it says he forgives all of them. Psalm 130 says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? 
But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Psalm 136 says, In their own eyes we flatter ourselves too much to detect or hate our sins. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even in their beds they plot evil and they commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. And yet Psalm 103 says he forgives all our sins. This should cause us, like the woman at the well, when we realize what great sinners we are, to run and tell everybody, I met a man who forgives me. In fact, here's how it goes in John chapter 4. Leaving her water jug, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Stop for a second and remember that story. He didn't say, remember in second grade when you got the most improved plaque and remember this and that. He said, you've got five men in your life. You're a sinner to the core. And she's bragging about it. Think of that. She's been exposed as a sinner. And her her headline is, I want you to meet the guy who knows everything about me. Why? Because he forgave all her sins. And she said, could this be the Messiah? And everybody ran to that. They all came out to meet him. When the world finds out that we are sinners and yet we're forgiven, we tell people about that and they can't wait to meet that because this world will beat you down for your sins. Have you received forgiveness of your sins? Do you know what it means to say what David said? He has forgiven all my sins. Now, either you're not a Christian and you've never accepted that in the first place, and that's step one. But I know, too, there's lots of Christians who do know that, but they still are burdened by the sin and the shame of it. He's forgiven all your sins. Secondly, a second benefit, he heals all your diseases. Well, what do we do with that? I've talked to some of you today that that's not true, right? So I don't want to put our hand in the sand. I don't want to just skip this verse. I also don't want to spend all morning on it. Let me run through this a a little bit because it does make some, it it makes for interesting conversation, something to think about. We have diseases in this world. That's no surprise to anybody. There is sickness and there is disease. We live in a fallen world. And it came because sin entered the world. That's what Romans tells us. And so the fact that it's even here is because of that. There are times in the Bible when God would show up and would heal. He did it in Moses' day a lot of times. He did it in Elijah and Elisha's day. And he did it again when Jesus and the apostles were running around. And the reason it happened often there was so that they could validate the testimony of the gospel or what God was doing to redeem his people. Why should we listen to Moses? Because God does amazing things through Moses to verify he's speaking the truth of God. It was the same with Jesus. He is the Messiah. It was the same with the apostles. They are speaking the gospel. And so those kind of times in history when it he does heal all their diseases, you know, you just picture Jesus walking around. That was because he was validating this is the person who I say he is. He is the Messiah. Now, I don't think he does it all the time like he used to them. That doesn't mean we don't pray for it and don't ask for it. In fact, James says, if you're sick, ask the elders to lay hands and pray for healing. And so we can't just claim that as a blanket, I think. That's my view on that. By the way, if your view is that there are people that can just walk around and touch people and heal, I would just beg you, send them down to Children's Mercy. Send them to a hospital. 
But again, Jesus is not just helpful here. He kind of fulfills this. There was a man paralyzed that Jesus ran into in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 9. He was paralyzed. And Jesus didn't walk up and say, hey, get up and walk. He said, your sins are forgiven. And they said this, he was accused of blasphemy because only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew that. Jesus was God. Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he says, which is easier, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? So guess what? He told the guy to get up and walk to prove that he is the one that can forgive sins. And then he told him, you're well again, go and quit sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. Ultimately, and someday in full fulfillment, our ultimate healing is from our sin. That's our deepest need. And so God works through healings. He also works through sickness to bring people to their greatest need, which is to be healed of their sin. And only that that is found in Jesus. Again, someday, read Revelation, we'll all not have to worry about that kind of stuff. Verse 4 goes on to say back in Psalm, He redeems your life from the pit. I don't know if you feel like your life's in the pits right now. Um, David literally lived in pits at times, so did other, other prophets, and sometimes we sure feel like it. There's a deeper meaning than this, you're having a bad day, though. It's you've You've redeemed me from destruction, meaning... God, you could wipe me out if you wanted to, but at great cost, the redemption is it cost you something. God, you have gotten me away from destruction. I am not headed to hell now. I have a relationship with you. It goes on to say in verse 4, he crowns you with love and compassion. God doesn't just forgive us and move on. He crowns us with love and compassion. It's like he takes us in as one of his own. There's a great, not great, but a very specific story in the Old Testament about a man walking down the road and he finds an abandoned baby in its own filth and the man picks the baby up, cleans it off, nurses it to health. Eventually, that baby turns into his bride and to be thankful, she cheats on him. That's kind of the, my version of all that. That's the story of the Bible, that God found us heading to destruction and not just frees us from that, but welcomes us with love and compassion, brings us into his family. Verse 5 says, he satisfies your desires with good things. Everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied, says Solomon in Ecclesiastes 6. You ever feel like you're not getting everything you need that everything you work for everything you hope for is not going to fulfill you well guess what jesus is the one who does that he is the living water he is the bread of life he is the one that is most satisfying isaiah would say why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest fare again at the woman with the woman at the well His disciples would come back and say, are you hungry? And he says, listen, I've got food you don't know about. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your mouth, I'm sorry, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. If all this is true, if God is satisfying and forgiving and all that, then I'm going to have a spring in my step. And that's what David is saying. If all this is true, I'm going to be strong like a young eagle. 
So now we make a turn in this psalm. Point two is praise the Lord community. And this is the outline of the text. I don't want, I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that I'm going to keep listing benefits of God here, okay? But what, what God, what David does here is says, okay, now I want to, I want to point back to Israel's history, specifically the way God worked through Moses to keep listing these benefits. And the first thing he says is his righteousness. So that's point A, verse six. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Israel had been oppressed, and God freed them from Egypt, for instance. The way the Bible reads, we are oppressed and enslaved to our sin, and God frees us from that. He has worked righteousness and justice for all that are oppressed. If you don't understand that you've been oppressed by sin, then you don't understand the fullness of the gospel, which is not just forgiveness of sin, but freedom from sin that God takes us out of. Apart from Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit, I just live in the flesh. And even my good things are filthy rags, the Bible tells us. But with the Holy Spirit and with forgiveness of Christ, I actually can say no to my flesh sometimes. And he works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. And then point B I put is his revelation because in verse 7 it says, He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Now specifically we're turning to that community thing, the people of God. And before I read verses Eight and following, which are the heart of this, in my opinion. Don't lose sight of verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Well, when did that happen? Back in Exodus 33. God has been working. He's, he's getting the people out of Egypt. Moses, in, in Exodus 33, is um, basically asked God a question. He says, God, you keep telling me to lead these people. But I don't know who you are. Why should we follow you? You said we know your name and we found favor with you. But Moses says, tell me who you are. God said, my presence will go with you. And Moses says, but I still don't know who you are. So God finally says to Moses, I will do the thing you have asked. Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And God says, by the way, you can't look at me in the face or you'll die, so you're going to get up in this cleft and I'm going to go by. And then in chapter 34, the Lord speaks to Moses. Now, here's the point I want you to get. This is God revealing himself to Moses. This is not Moses saying, here's who I think God is. This is God saying to Moses, here's who I am. And it says, the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. He goes on to say, by the way, I don't leave that unpunished, and we know that happens in Christ. But when asked face-to-face, in a sense, who are you, he says words that David picks up here in Psalm 103 and says, I'm the God who forgives. Remember earlier I started about demeanor and character? That's God's heart. He has done everything possible to forgive us. 
He's been patient to forgive us. That's his demeanor. That's his character. And so when David recounts this now, read again. I'm just going to read verses 8 through 16 just to show you. This is point, sub point one. The Lord is compassionate towards, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field, and the wind blows over it, and it's gone. And the place remembers it no more. Man, those are great New Testament truths. But it was revealed. Here's the point. Not only was it revealed, God revealing it to Moses, this happened way before Jesus got on the scene. God's heart has always been slow to anger, abounding in love, does not treat us as our sins deserve. I, I, I sense that many of us kind of knew those verses or count on those verses in our lives They're Old Testament verses. That's always been God's plan. That's always been God's design. Now, move through it a little slower. Verse 8 again, he's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. By the way, the Old Testament word love is hesed. And it has this idea, I covered this a little bit last week, has the idea of mercy. So when we hear God is love, and he is, it's a merciful love. It's In fact, it's a covenant merciful love. That it's not just he really likes you. He's merciful in his love towards you. He will not always accuse. That's the devil that does that, by the way. Nor will he harbor his anger forever. He poured out that anger on Christ. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He treated Jesus as our sins deserve. He repaid our iniquities on him. And I'm afraid that sometimes my view and your view, if I'm listening close enough, we rewrite that verse and say, God does not treat us as our righteousness deserves or repay us according to our good deeds. We get that backwards. Our sins deserve death the moment we commit them. No blessing, no mercy, no love. But he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Verse 12, as high as the heavens are above the earth. We've got that new telescope that's out there, don't we? That web thing. Not the webcam, but the web. Our universe is still expanding, and we're still discovering things. And what David is saying here is as high as the heavens are from the earth, so great is his love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, and you've probably heard sermons on this. If I tell you north-south, we're eventually going to run into each other. If I tell you east-west, we're just going forever. God has removed our sins as far as he can. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows that how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust like grass. I, 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 
here's the danger in what I'm about to say. And, and it's, a, it's an ongoing danger. Whenever you speak of the grace of God, the danger is that, the fear is that people will take it too far. Well, David just said you can't take it too far. The danger, the fear is that you will take advantage of it. If God really does forgive, then I'm just going to do whatever I want. I think the result is the exact opposite. When we figure out that God does not treat us that our sins deserve, we won't sin as much as we did. But the fear about what I'm about to say is he knows that we're human beings. He knows that we're weak. And it's been a while now since my boys were little boys, but I did not expect them to act like grown-ups when they were kids. From the moment of talking to walking to everything. God knows we're a bunch of human beings. We're not God. By His grace, He's put His Holy Spirit in us so that we can be born in His image and all that stuff. But He knows. That's why Jesus is our sympathetic high priest who knows what it's like to be tempted in all the ways we are. And yet He did not sin. And I'm not saying don't hold up high standards and all that because that's the danger. That's the fear. But God knows. He knows we struggle with this stuff. He knows we're dust. He made us that way, right? And point two, the Lord is committed to us. It says in verse 17, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Again, the new heart allows us to do those things. Jesus did those things for us. But God is committed to raising up his people. Which kind of brings us full circle to point three. Praise the Lord, all creation. If this is true, then no wonder everybody praises Jesus in the end. We're given a couple of subpoints. A, his authority, it says in verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over us. That's what God is working out. He is he is redeeming people. He's being patient with people, bringing them to repentance. And then David invites the angels or the messengers in, into this. Verse 20, praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, his servants who do his will. It's been a while, but one Sunday we talked about the fact that when we gather to worship, we are entering into a heavenly worship service where thousands of angels are already there praising God. And we are, we are the, we're the latecomers kind of getting in on that or we're, you know, coming into something that's already happening. And we know from Revelation, this will continue forever, forever and ever. It says there will be many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands and circling the throne of living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice saying worthy is the lamb who is slain who received power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise then i heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever Amen. And everybody bowed down and worshiped. And in point C, and I really struggle with this outline point, his architecture. God has formed all of creation 
to point in this direction. So when it says in verse 22a, praise the Lord all his works and everything in his dominion. Romans talks about the fact that this world, just the creation ought to point you to God. Colossians talk about Jesus is the one who hung the stars and sustains them. All creation should point us to this God who forgives our sins and does not treat us as our sins deserve. And so concluding, David says at the end of the psalm, praise the Lord, my soul. All the angels, all creation, just like he started my inmost being in my soul, I praise the Lord. So here's how I leave this and ask you how you find yourself here. Are you at a place where from your inmost being, from your soul, you worship Christ because of all the incredible benefits he's and specifically the forgiveness of sins. Have you received those benefits? I hope this makes sense, but there's some benefits called death benefits that you only receive when you die. When we accept Christ initially for forgiveness, we die to ourselves. We admit we're dead We tell God, we're dead to do anything that pleases you. We die to the idea that I can be good enough for God to accept me. We die to all of that, and we receive the death benefits, which is forgiveness of sin. He does not treat us that our sins deserve all those things. Throws them as far as the east is from the west. So I want to know if you've received those benefits today. I want to know if you're saved. That's a choice you need to make. And I beg you to make it. If you have, are you rejoicing in those? I mean, we should be like eagles. Just can't believe that God did what he did for us. And some of you just need to rest in that. Say, he has taken care of it and he's thrown it as far away as it can. And just rest in the forgiveness we have in Christ. Let me pray. And then you all proved yourself. We're going to sing that chorus and be dismissed. But let's pray. God, thank you for these truths. Um, if you had not described yourself in such a way to Moses and then recounted by David, God, we, it would be such presumption to think that we could stand before a holy God and assume that you do not treat us as our sins deserve. To assume that you've just gotten rid of everything that stands between us. But God, you told Moses, you told us through David that that's who you are. You are slow to anger and abounding in love. You do not treat us as our sins deserve. And so in our soul, our inmost being, we praise you, God. God, I pray for those that don't know you. I pray for anyone here that has not received those benefits. That they would die to themselves, die to their righteousness, and accept the forgiveness offered in Christ. For he died in our place. You treated him as our sins deserve. And God, for those of us that know you, may we rejoice in this, find great strength like an eagle. God, may we rest in this. And frankly, may we be like the woman at the well who says to everybody else, come and see the person that told me everything that I am and forgave me still. God, would you be glorified in all this? Would you move in our hearts, in our minds, in our inmost beings, in our souls? Amen.